Good morning. As Taylor said, I am uh, an alumnus of Florida State University and of the university chapter. I know a lot of you, some of you I don't. Um, either way, it's really great to see you. Uh, and Taylor did ask me to share about so the ministry work that I've been doing up where I am. About halfway through my uh, schooling at Trinity, I started volunteering and working with an organization called Church Army USA. Church Army has the mission statement of reaching the least, the last, and the lost with the gospel of Christ and bringing them into the life and ministry of the church. Um, and this mission can take on many different forms. Uh, when it first started in the late 1800s, it looked like people going into street corners and going into pubs to share the gospel with people that, that hung out there. The people that the church at the time thought they weren't worthy. They are not people that we need to reach. They're, they're lowly, they're dirty, they're the workers. We're only here for the people that deserve it. And the starter, the forerunner of Church Army uh, decided, no, that's, that's ridiculous. Everyone needs the gospel, everyone needs Jesus. And so he went there to start this, or, this evangelism, this organization, this movement. Uh, today, there's an the part of our organization is in Hartford, Connecticut. And they do a really weird thing um, that we can call underwear evangelism. Uh, they collect underwear, they collect socks, they collect undershirts, and they bring them to places where homeless people would be, and they give them to them. And most the people that would come up to them would say, okay, just like, I would, I'd like a pair of underwear. He goes, okay, what would you like? And they'd say, oh, well, whatever you have. I'll take whatever you have. And this evangelist says, no, no, what, what, what do you prefer? Do you want boxers? Do you want briefs? Do you want like a speci special color or pattern? We might have some Ninja Turtles in there if you want. Um, and the whole point is we're going to give you a choice. Like You deserve a choice. You deserve to choose what you want. You deserve to be comfortable. Like You have worth. They go to an HIV AIDS facility and they pray for these people and they hug these people, people that other people don't like. They're afraid of being in the same room with. They tell them that they're loved. And the site that I work at um, is actually a cafe uh, in Aliquippa. Aliquippa is about 35 minutes north of Pittsburgh. Uh, and its best days were after the steel mill came into town. All the people there could find worker-level jobs. They could sweep the floors. They could clean bathrooms. And they could make a living wage off of that. So Aliquippa was full of people who thought this, this steel mill, this thing that came into Pittsburgh, has saved me from not being able to provide for myself. And as some of you might know, in the 80s, uh, that steel mill closed down. Steel just wasn't a, a strong in industry anymore. And when that happened, the people who could afford to move out left Aliquippa, which means that everyone that was left in Aliquippa were the poor ones, the ones who couldn't afford to get out, and the ones who had no training to do any jobs. That meant that the city was hit very hard by the steel mill leaving. Drugs and violence became issues, and racial segregation ended up tearing the city apart. 
In the early 2000s, a church army evangelist came into Aliquippa. And he wanted to know how church army, how he can help the city thrive. He spent about three years just living in the community, walking through the streets, talking to anyone that would give him the time, and asking, what do you want? What do you want to see happen in Aliquippa? And most of the people that he talked to said that they just wanted a place they can go and be safe. They wanted to be welcome. They wanted a place where they can be friendly with other people. And this evangelist decided to start a cafe because other than bars, there was no place to hang out in Aliquippa. And I've worked with this church army site called Uncommon Grounds um, for a number of years, officially being on staff over this last year. We make sandwiches and we sell fresh ground Colombian coffee for 50 cents a cup. We do that because that's what they can afford. We lose money serving these people. And if someone can't afford it, we have different tasks around the cafe that they can do to earn a drink or a meal. Everyone behind the counter at the cafe is a volunteer. They're volunteering their time to work. For four-hour shift, you can get a sandwich. If you wipe the windows or clean the bathrooms, you can get a cup of coffee or a milkshake. We do that because that's how we give people dignity. We say, you can do this. I'm not just going to give you something which tells you I'm better than you and you need me. Instead, I'm going to say, hey, no, you, you have an ability. You have a gift. You have a talent. So why don't you use that? Use the body that you have. Use your strength. Use your personality. And, and deserve what you have. Everyone that is on staff, which is myself and about 10 others, we're required not only to work behind the counter, but to work on the other side. We're required to spend time in the cafe just sitting down, talking to people, getting to know our friends in the, in the area. There are a lot of regulars, and some come in every day. They come in, they talk, they laugh, and we share moments together. Our goal at Uncommon Grounds is the same goal at every church army base. We want to let them know, we want the people in Aliquippa to know that they are loved. Our goal is to show love. I know pretty much everyone who walks in by their first name, and they know me. I greet all of them, and some of them even give me a hug when we see each other. We sit together, we talk. We open up about our struggles, and we pray for each other. On Saturday nights at the cafe, there's a thing that is called Church in the Margins. It's a dinner where some of my fellow staff workers actually make a full meal and then just open the door. And anyone who wants to come in is welcome to come in. And there's no charge. It's just an open table where people can sit. And in fact, the first time someone comes in, they're told that they aren't allowed to help set up or clean. They just have to eat. And they're not given the opportunity to do anything else. A question is always provided during these meals, and the hopes that it'll spur discussion. Um, question could be simple, like, what's one good thing that happened this week? Um, or it could be deeper, like, what does it really mean to love your neighbor? 
Sharing a meal together and inviting others to share a meal with you is one of the most vulnerable things that we can do. There have been times at Church in the Margins when people come in, they eat as much as they can, and then they walk out, and they don't say a word. There have been people who come in and just kind of criticize the way one of our staff workers is doing things, or just criticize them because they're a different person, because they have a different skin color. And there's also vulnerability in coming to a meal. Specifically, it has to do with our culture. We're in a culture of payback, and you know, not in a bad way. <laughs> but if you scratch my back, I'm going to scratch yours, because I don't want to owe you anything. <coughs> I've sat through arguments, uh, specifically after church, where people are arguing over who picks up the lunch tab. And the only way this argument can end is if someone says, OK, you can do it, but I'm getting the next one. That's why people aren't allowed to clean up after the church in the margins. And usually, it, they have to be there for at least a month before they're allowed to do anything to help out. It's all to help understand that you're allowed to receive love, and you don't have to be expected to return anything for it. Our reading in Luke has a lot to do with this. It's about being honored or dishonored based on how you look outwardly. In other words, it's about deserving or not deserving love. The passage begins with the healing of a man, and it ends with Jesus' teaching on taking a seat of honor at the table. But I want to look at these two out of order, because I think understanding the issue that Jesus is teaching about will help us to understand the situation surrounding the man who's healed. The passage begins, One Sabbath, Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. And these Sabbath meals were a very big deal in the first century to these Jews, because all of the food in these Sabbath meals had to be cooked the day before and stored in very specific ways, since it was forbidden to work on the Sabbath. This means that the only ones who had the resources, only the ones who had the resources to keep the food were able to host these meals. And because of this, Sabbath meals became a notable time for the social elite to display the wealth that they have. Being invited to these meals is considered a great honor. And Luke writes that Jesus noticed how those who were invited chose the places of honor. In those times, it was more honorable to sit near the host of the meal. So each person sort of deliberated their social standing to decide where they should sit along the table and not one to miss a teaching opportunity. Jesus tells the guests of the meal, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Let someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who, invi who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Remember the Sabbath meals were a way of showing honor and prestige. So by giving this teaching, Jesus is essentially telling the people that what they've been doing is backwards. He's saying that everything they're doing, like the whole reason that they're even at that meal, which is to gain honor, is wrong. So if you ever wonder why people might not like Jesus when he was teaching back then, this, this is the reason. 
okay? He openly criticized and contradicted the traditions and the practices that were ingrained in the lives of those that were around him. In this case, he's criticizing a very foundational piece of their society. He's bringing into question the notion that one should be concerned with their standing in social circles. So an example of this is something that I do, which is I have an Instagram account. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Instagram is a social media tool that helps you show other people just how awesome your life is. <laughs> um, you can take a picture of food and like with the right filter make it look like it actually tastes good. <laughs> or a picture of yourself at the right angle makes your hair look good. Um, or of your view makes it look like, oh, you got like, that's great seats at the concert. Well, it's in the balcony. But, you know, they think that. <laughs> um, or if anyone remembers MySpace, which if you're in college now, you might not. <laughs> Um, on your MySpace homepage, you had a friends box, and within that box, you had the ability to choose the top eight friends that you have. And I remember in high school, actually, like, watching arguments over their top eight friends, and someone saying, like, why'd you move me down to number three? Like, Rick's not that, like, we, you know, we went to lunch the other day. Well, you know, like, he doesn't even sit at your lunch table, and you're putting him in your top eight. Uh, like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but, but that's the way it is. It's, we judge our social status not by where we sit at a table. We judge it by followers and likes. And the problem is that this is all based on outward appearance. I can update my Facebook status to be profound or witty or sympathetic. I can make my profile picture make me look like a model. And I can repost news stories to look like I actually care about social issues. Without doing anything to change my life, I can look honorable. I can make sure that everyone else around me knows I deserve honor. The problem with fighting over seats at a meal isn't that honor is a bad thing. Jesus even uses honor as the motivation for contradicting these acts. He says, but when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For someone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Honor is a good thing. But if we're so concerned about appearing honorable, we can actually be so caught up in that appearance that we forget to actually be honorable. Jesus was honorable, and that's why he was at this meal. But he also went to meals with sinners, and he also allowed prostitutes to honor him with oil. He didn't let the outward appearance keep him from acting honorable. A way that we do this happened recently. The deadliest mass shooting in our United States history happened in Orlando. And a lot of Christians double-guessed whether they can show sympathy because the victims were gay. And a lot of it was concern about how others might interpret your sympathy. If I give my condolences to the gay community, others might agree that, might think that I agree with everything in their lifestyle. 
Or if I do give my condolences, I have to be sure that I qualify it with a statement about these other issues that have nothing to do with it. But Jesus wasn't concerned about these things. Concern with the perception of others isn't seeking honor. It's seeking admiration. Jesus ate with tax collectors, and he spent time with sinners. And the Pharisees used this to defame him. They said, look, he associates himself with sinners. There's no way he can be a prophet of Israel if he's hanging out with these people. But Jesus knew that how others perceived him didn't matter if he was acting with real honor. Real honor is caring for those who need care, no matter how others might perceive it. Many of us, just like the Pharisees, miss doing the honorable thing in order to look honorable. By looking honorable, we're just seeking admiration. Because someone might interpret me as dishonorable, I'm not going to associate myself with dishonorable people. But dishonorable people need God just as much as honorable ones. And dishonorable people need God just, need love just as much as honorable ones. The church has dealt with these issues of honor since the beginning. In the first letter to the Corinthians, which we read, it says, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you, have house, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or you just despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? The rich who don't need to work could go to these church gatherings where the Lord's Supper was provided, and they can eat early. But the poor had to work to earn their day's wages, so they would arrive late and find that there's nothing left on the table. Those who are eating first have enough to provide for themselves. The meal was meant to be a fellowship and a communion with one another, but they used it to get drunk and to hoard food for themselves. Because they would have been considered honorable or more deserving than the poorer people around them, they didn't bother to think about saving enough for those arriving later. The Lord's Supper became the same thing as these Sabbath meals that Jesus is criticizing. It became a show of luxury and honor at the expense of the lowly. As a church, we can't show favoritism or preference. We must choose the lower seat. And there's a risk involved in taking the lower seat. Because, yes, there's a chance that you'll be asked to move up, but there's also the chance that you won't be asked to. There's a chance that you'll be sitting in that seat for the entire meal. Taking the lowest seat means willingly submitting to that risk. Is it okay if everyone here sees me in the lowest seat? Am I willing to show my lowness, even if it has no external benefit to me? Paul writes in Philippians how Jesus showed his lowness. It says, Jesus emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If Jesus was worried about his appearance, he would not have died for us. Because death is unbecoming. 
Dying for those who don't deserve it is even worse. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Paul writes in Romans. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The good news of Jesus is that he was willfully dishonored in the eyes of the world around him. He did not need to prove himself, but took it upon himself to go to the absolute lowest place in death. Even though, being very God, a very God, he deserved the absolute highest place at the right hand of the Father in heaven. We must be willing to let others go before us because that is how we love. We love as Christ loved by laying ourselves down for others. When we create personas on social media or in the world, we fool ourselves into thinking that we're setting ourselves up for places of honor. And God warns us in Jeremiah, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. These things, however great they might be, cannot bring real honor. They can only bring admiration. If I really want to be honorable, I don't boast about my great talents. I use my talents to help those around me. I'd use my wisdom to instruct those who lack wisdom. I use my might to help those who lack might. And I use my riches to provide for those who lack riches. True honor doesn't need to be announced. Jesus didn't announce his good deeds to bolster himself. Everything he did was for the glory of God. So now I want to look at how Jesus enacted this honor and dishonor principle at the meal among the most honorable guests of the ruler of the Pharisees. It says, Behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Dropsy is an illness that's caused by excess fluids in the body, so your soft tissue begins to swell, which means your whole body starts swelling, and it causes a deformation. So anyone who saw this man knew he had dropsy. It's not something that he could hide. So the Pharisees are watching Jesus carefully because they're waiting to catch him in a trap. And they wanted him to do something where they can point and say, yeah, there it is. Now we know you're a false prophet because you did this thing. Um, so Jesus, knowing that that's what's going on, you can read a room when everyone's staring at you trying to make sure you do something wrong. Usually you can tell. <laughs> Although sometimes it's wrong. Like I feel that way kind of right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks. Um, and so it says, before they do anything, before he does anything, Luke writes, Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took the man with dropsy and healed him and sent him away. The difference between Jesus and the Pharisees is how they interact with people like this man. The Pharisees, if they even allow him to stay at this meal, would make sure 
that this man takes the lowest seat at the table. They would set him down where he would be constantly reminded of his lowness, while the others fight over who can be more honored. But Jesus doesn't. Instead, he allows himself to be associated with this man, which brings him low. And then he heals the man to lift him higher. Jesus isn't concerned with his honor, but he's concerned with honoring those around him. After he heals the man, Luke writes that Jesus said to them, Which of you, having an ox or a a son that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. And this, I believe, is the most important verse of the passage, because Jesus is equating his healing of this man on a Sabbath with anyone who would save a son or an ox on the Sabbath. But it's not just any son or ox. He says, which of you having a son or an ox? They're not simply walking by a trapped child or a trapped animal. They're looking at their own. And Jesus says, if you would help those that are your own, I also must help those that are my own. When Jesus heals, he does it because we are his. God heals because the love that he has for us is the same love a father has for his child. A father doesn't take his time helping the child out of danger. He rushes to his child, and he does everything he can to pull that child out of whatever problems that they are having. God's desire is to bring us healing, and that desire comes from a place of ownership. He has created us, and we are his. If we are God's, and God's desire is for us, then where you sit at a table can't define your honor. How great you look in an Instagram picture can't define your worth. And what people say behind your back can't define your purpose. Going back to the passage in Jeremiah, it says, But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Your honor is yours because God honors you. We boast that we know God because he is our source of worth and dignity. He alone practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. He alone is honorable. He is the host of the wedding feast of his son and his church. And we have been invited to this feast. And he has chosen to honor us when we arrive. Because Jesus already took the lowest seat. He took the low place that is rightfully ours. The man with dropsy had no hope of gaining honor for himself. He was deformed beyond being able to hide it. And I would say that we need to accept 
that we are also deformed beyond being able to hide it. I can try to hide my sin behind layers that I can create, behind my social media accounts, behind my religiosity, behind my wisdom, my might, and my riches. Well, maybe not riches. <laughs> but the other two, I think. <laughs> but if all of those layers are peeled away, it would become apparent that I belong with the dishonorable. I am a sinner. But Jesus knew that. He took us up from our seat at the end of the table, and he has said, move up higher. If you want to receive that honor, then get up and let Jesus take your seat. If you don't, you don't have to search for your honor from others. And you don't have to earn your honor with wisdom or might or riches. Truth is, you can't earn it. I know he's lifted me up and he has made me new. He's freed me from the burden of trying to find my honor anywhere else. Before I could do anything, while I was still a sinner, he had already taken the lowest place. He died for us, and he rose again from the dead, and he exalts us if we would just let him take our seats of shame. Amen.